We can spend our lives in pursuit of happiness. Whatever that looks like for you. The pursuit of pleasure, success. A lot of people think that the point of life is to be happy. And to have stuff. And to have a good time. But all of that is really pointless if that's all life is about. And happiness and fun and, and having things and buying new things, it's fleeting. It's short-lived. It, it's fickle. Yet so many people look for meaning and purpose in such shallow and temporary pursuits. The philosopher Voltaire, he pursued happiness through a godless form of philosophy, but in the end he concluded, I wish I had never been born. Lord Byron lived a life as devoted to pleasure as you could ever imagine. But he wrote, The worm, the canker, and grief are mine alone. Jay Gold was a railroad baron in the 19th century in the United States. He was one of the wealthiest men in America at the time. Sort of the Bill Gates or the Jeff Bezos of his day. Yet on his deathbed, Gold confessed, I suppose I'm the most miserable man on earth. Alexander the Great conquered the known world in his day. And having done so, he wept in his tent and said, there are no more worlds to conquer. All of these tragic ends to the pursuit of pleasure and happiness and meaning, they bear witness to what Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes when he said, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the, after the wind. Nothing gained under the sun. C.S. Lewis correctly points out the problem with the pursuit of pleasure and happiness. He said, Joy must be sharply distinguished both from happiness and pleasure. Joy, in my sense, has indeed one characteristic and one only in common with them. The fact that anyone who has experienced it will want it again. I doubt whether anyone who has tasted joy would ever, if both joy and happiness were in his power, exchange it for all the pleasures in the world. But then joy is never in our power, and pleasure often is. In his book, Jesus, Man of Joy, Sherwood Elliott describes joy as more than fun, yet it has fun. It expresses itself in laughter and elation, yet it draws from a deep spring that keeps flowing long after the laughter has died and the tears have come. So as I think about these quotes, as I, as I look at all of this, I have to think to myself that what everybody really is after is joy. Joy is what people crave. We're just looking for it in all the wrong places. Like the dad in the video. We can be so distracted by work and the pursuit of success and happiness and material gain that we miss the laughter and the joy that is all around us. So how can we experience a real, deep, abiding joy? A joy that isn't just a chasing after the wind. A joy that actually means something. A joy that makes a difference in my life and in the lives of those around me. This kind of joy can't be purchased. It can't be generated by myself. 
It has to sprout. It has to grow from my heart. And that's why joy is listed as one of these nine characteristics of the Christian faith. One of these nine virtues that together make up what we call the fruit of the Spirit. Now our text for this series is in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. It's going to be up on the screen. Let's read it together. Read this with me. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now, just a few verses earlier, Paul describes the kind of worldly pursuits of the surrounding culture. The way that the people living around the, the Galatian Christians and the people living around us, the way they try to pursue happiness in their lives. He describes sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, selfish ambition, and drunkenness. But then Paul says that these things, they don't really bring joy. Instead, they bring hatred, strife, jealousy, discord, fits of rage, and envy. These are the exact opposite of joy, right? They're the exact opposite of these nine virtues that make up the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. And so in that way, we can really think of the fruit of the Spirit as a countercultural force, like light penetrating darkness, like salt transforming a bland dish. We are to live out the character of Christ in our lives in such a way that we are radically different than the people living around us. We are to have different priorities, different attitudes, different virtues, like joy. Joy is not the same thing as happiness. This, ben was making a very good point for the, a case for that in his children's sermon. Joy is not the same as happiness. And to illustrate that, I want to read for you, for you a couple of, of stanzas from the poem, Casey at the Bat. The sneer is gone from Casey's lips. His teeth are clenched in hate. He pounds with cruel violence his bat upon the plate. And now the pitcher holds the ball, and now he lets it go. And now the air is shattered by the force of Casey's blow. Oh, somewhere in this favored land, the sun is shining bright. The band is playing somewhere, and somewhere hearts are light. And somewhere men are laughing, and somewhere children shout. But there is no joy in Mudville Mighty Casey has struck out. The people of Mudville had no joy. What, what I would describe as no happiness. They had no happiness because their team lost the ball game. Anybody ever feel that way? I heard that laugh. I, I know. I feel that quite often. Amen, Ben? This is the problem with the worldly definition of joy. Because really what they're talking about isn't joy, it's happiness. And when we place too much emphasis on mundane things, on fleeting things, like whether or not your favorite ball team wins or loses a game, or what grade you might make on a test, or how much money you're bringing home, or how popular or successful you are, if that's where we put our happiness and what we think of as joy, we're going to be disappointed, right? The word happy comes from a Middle English word, hap, 
which means a chance occurrence or luck. It's the same root word for happen, which means a chance occurrence, a random occurrence. So we could say that our happiness is determined by what is happening, right? We're happy because of what has happened. When something good happens to us, we're happy. When something unpleasant happens to us, we're not happy. Happiness has a brief shelf life. Easy come, easy go. And while happiness is dictated by what is on the outside, joy, on the other hand, is produced from within. God's Spirit produces joy in our lives regardless of what's happening around us. Like I said last week, I can't produce the fruit of Christ-likeness in myself. I can't generate that. Only the Spirit of God does that. But I can partner with God. Like a gardener partners with God. A gardener can't make the sun shine, can't make the rain fall, can't make the seeds sprout, but he can do certain things to improve conditions so that the, the plants will grow and the fruit will make. And we can cultivate our hearts just like a gardener cultivates the ground. We can work with the Spirit to make sure that we are placing ourselves in the position so that we are remaining like a, a branch in the vine. We're remaining in Christ so that His love and His joy and His peace and all these things can come through us and produce that fruit in our lives. So let's stick with this gardening theme and let's specifically talk about how we can make sure that our lives are growing joy. And the first thing we have to do is we have to weed out the joy killers. We have to weed out the joy killers in our life. What is stealing the joy in your life? What things are choking out joy in your family? Or where you work? Or in your life and experience in the church? What is choking out and robbing you of your joy? In Luke chapter 8, Jesus tells a parable about four kinds of soil. And each soil represents a different kind of heart. And how receptive that heart is to the Word of God, to the Gospel. And he gets to that, that third kind of soil and he says that it, it, uh, it's full of thorny weeds that grow up and choke out the plant that's trying to grow there. Listen to what Jesus says in verse 14. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. So let's notice the things in here that choke out God's Word and work in our life. It's worries, it's riches, it's pleasures. And let's use these to identify what might be choking out the joy in our lives. The first one is worry. You can't experience joy today if you're worried about tomorrow, can you? Did you know that the English word for worry has its origins in the word that means to strangle or choke? That's what worry does, isn't it? Worry chokes us. It strangles us. It chokes out the good things from our lives. It chokes out God's Word. It chokes out faith and trust, love and joy from our lives. You can't have joy if you're being choked by worry. Another thing we have to weed out, another joy killer is riches. Now this is almost counterintuitive. Because our culture has conditioned us to believe that the more stuff you have, 
the happier you're going to be. The more life is going to be enjoyable and more everything's going to go your way if you have more stuff. But the truth of the matter is, the more stuff we get, the more potential it is for that stuff to rob us of our joy. Connecting our joy to stuff is dangerous because, as Ben pointed out, we can lose our stuff. Stuff breaks and it goes bad and we lose interest in it and something newer and better comes out. If we connect joy to stuff, we're going to end up being very disappointed. Here in a few weeks, on Wednesday, September the 19th, our church is going to have the opportunity to host a speaker from Samaritan's Purse. And we're going to invite other churches in the area to come, the Fellowship Hall, and we're going to hear all about uh, Operation Christmas Child, because that, believe it or not, is right around the corner. And by the way, this is a great time to go to Walmart or Target and buy you know, crowns and, and, and glue sticks and scissors and all the fun stuff we put in our shoeboxes. Now is a, a great time to go and grab that stuff. But he, this uh, guy, Mark Brumbelow, is going to come and speak. And he's a pastor of a small rural church outside of Houston, Texas. Now, Mark and his church and community were devastated by the flooding of Hurricane Harvey when it came and just kind of camped out over Houston. And Pastor Mark and 30 other members of his church either lost their home or experienced extensive damage due to the floodwaters. Yet one week later, a week after the majority of the church either lost their home or had it damaged, a week later they gathered together at the church and they still packed a thousand shoeboxes. For Operation Christmas Child. Now that's joy. Amen? That takes joy. And then they got word that their shoeboxes were going to be delivered to the Caribbean nation of Antigua and Barbuda. Now, the island of Barbuda was hit after Harvey came to Texas. Irma came through. Remember Irma? Irma devastated the island of Barbuda. It was the first landfall of Irma. It came in at full strength. 95% of the buildings on that island were destroyed. And they had to evacuate the entire island. For the first time in 300 years, not a soul was on that island. And so these shoeboxes went to the children from Barbuda. And so Pastor Mark and his wife Sherry got word that they were going to be flown by Samaritan's Purse to Antigua, and they were going to get to give out their church's shoeboxes to these children. Now think about that. Here are people who lost their houses in Hurricane Harvey giving Christmas gifts to children who lost their houses in Hurricane Irma. Is that not the gospel? It's one thirsty person telling another thirsty person where to find water. Now I want to ask you this. If the Brumbelow's joy was found in their stuff, do you think that their church would have packed those thousand shoeboxes a week after they lost their stuff? I don't. I don't. Do you think they could have been used by God to bless those homeless, displaced children? No. You see, when we allow riches and materialism to choke out our joy, all that leads to is ingratitude and dissatisfaction and woe is me. We've got to remove our joy from our stuff because riches can choke out joy. Another thing that can choke out joy is pleasure. The Greek word here is hedonah. It's where we get the word hedonism. 
Okay, we talk about people, you know, hedonistic. They're just consumed with pleasure. All they care about is having a good time. And the word hedonah comes from the word that means sweet to the taste. And so some translations will translate it as sensual, meaning that it appeals to the senses. Now think for a minute about pleasant tastes and smells, right? We're, we're, we're getting into falls coming up and then Christmas. Think about all those pleasant tastes and smells that are associated with that. Does that last long? No, they're fleeting. And pleasure is the same way. Pleasure is like a shallow, momentary kind of happiness. It's like tasting something good. It's like eating some cotton candy. It tastes good at the moment, but it's not filling. It provides no nourishment whatsoever. There's no substance to it. So neither worries, nor riches, nor pleasures lead to joy. Instead, what they lead to is immaturity. They lead to immaturity. Look back at Luke 8.14. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. That's why we have to weed out these things that choke out our joy, that keep us emotionally and spiritually immature. Jesus or John said in 1 John 1.8-9, He said, if we claim to be without sin... We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We have to admit that there are weeds in the garden of our heart. We can't deny it. We have to admit it. And then he says if we do that, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. We need to identify the weeds, confess them, and then work with God in removing these joy killers from our lives. Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians 5.16, Rejoice always. And then he wrote this in the book of Philippians. And and we're going to spend the rest of our time in Philippians if you want to turn there in your Bibles. Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. Paul said, I thank my God every time I remember you. In my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Now, what's amazing is that Paul wrote this while he was in prison. He's writing about joy and rejoicing, and he's in prison. You know, Paul faced a lot of hardships for the cause of Christ. He talks about this thorn in the flesh. That, that, that just gave him a hard time. Now, we're not exactly sure what that was, but he had this thorn in the flesh that was a hindrance to him, and he prayed three times for God to remove it, and God never removed it. Instead, Paul had to learn to, to allow God's strength to be made perfect in his weakness. Paul was arrested for preaching the gospel. Paul was chased out of towns. He was nearly stoned to death. He was beaten at least three times, shipwrecked four times. And then he landed in prison where he spent the rest of his life until he was beheaded. And yet the central theme of this letter he wrote from prison is joy. Joy is the central theme of Philippians. It's found throughout the book. How can we have the kind of joy that Paul had in the face of our trials and difficulties? Well, the first thing, Paul weeded out the joy killers from his life. He wasn't concerned about about, uh, riches and pleasure. He wasn't worried. 
Paul weeded out the joy killers in his life and he replaced them with qualities that helped to cultivate joy. So that's our second step. We have to cultivate the joy growers, the things that help joy to grow in our lives. And the first one of those is gratitude. Gratitude replaces riches. So on your notes, out next to, to the right of riches, you write gratitude. Gratitude replaces riches. See, when we subsist off the emotion of happiness, when our happiness is dependent on riches and pleasures, it's like a plant that you water too much. You guys ever do that? Water a plant too much? I'm probably as bad about that as I'm not watering it enough. And if you water plants too much, its, its roots will be shallow. Sometimes they'll rot and the plant will die. Or if you take like a tree outside, if a tree outside has shallow roots and a big storm comes, what's going to happen to that tree? It's going to fall. It's going to uproot and fall down. But the choice to cultivate joy in the midst of trying times is more like a desert plant that has to send that taproot deep into the ground to draw up the life-giving water. Paul could be joyful in prison because he was drawing joy from a deep source, not a shallow source, not riches, not stuff. He, he could be joyful because he was thankful for the people, not the things in his life. Look at verse 3. I thank my God every time I remember you. And then look at verses 7 and 8. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. Whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Paul was more concerned with the people in his life than the stuff. Now flip over to Philippians chapter 4. Listen to what he says in verses 10 through 13. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you've been concerned, but you have no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need. Listen to this. For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. That's joy. When you can be content in plenty or in want, that takes joy. And then he goes on to say, and we love this verse, but we often... We often don't include it with the verses before. He goes on to say, uh, he says, I've learned the secret of being content in every, in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do everything through, through Him who gives me strength. We love to quote that verse. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And, you know, we, we think about that when it comes to graduation or winning some kind of a game or something. Hey, you can do it with Jesus' help, and you can but the context for this Paul is talking about is learning to be content no matter what the situation is going on around you. It's joy. Jesus gives us the strength to be joyful no matter what we have or we don't have. We need to stop fixating on the stuff in our lives or the stuff we don't have and be joyful in the relationships God has given us. I would far rather be rich in friends than rich in possessions. The second thing we need to cultivate, in addition to gratitude for what God has given us and the people He's placed in our lives, we need to pray with joy 
pray with joy, that replaces pleasure. Because the Greek word for joy is kara. And it's the exact opposite of hedona. Those words are opposites. Pleasure is a shallow emotion that's tied to what is happening around us. But the joy of the Lord is our strength. And this word kara, it appears 59 times in the New Testament. But you will rarely ever find it in any of the pagan literature of the time outside the New Testament. It was not a common word that was used at the time Paul wrote. And one of the reasons for that is that joy was a defining characteristic of early Christianity. The the, the Greco-Roman pagan religions were despairing. They were pessimistic. So the joy of Christians made Christians stand out. You know what? We live in a culture that's very similar to that. Very negative, very pessimistic culture where people hate each other and and, and gripe at each other, we can stand out as people of joy. Amen? And the few times that Kara is found outside of Christian writings, it's never describing an inner joy of of the soul. It's more what we would describe as the joy of Mudville. It's just happiness. And that kind of happiness is so shallow Listen, y'all, you may not think, but I can tell on a Sunday morning if Georgia lost the game the night before. I can tell. And you guys know Tennessee's always losing the game the night before, right? So, I mean, it doesn't... So, I I come in and I'm I'm happy no matter what. Because I'm just glad to be here. We can't tie our joy to pleasure and to what's happening with, with our football game, or at work, or with our kids, or no, no matter what. Now, what Paul does connect joy with here is prayer. Now, why does Paul connect joy with prayer? Because prayer is the quickest way that we can change our attitude. If you're having a hard time experiencing joy at work, or at home, or at school, kids, if you're having a hard time experiencing joy, pray about it. Now, I can't guarantee you that your prayers are going to change the things happening in your life, but I can guarantee you that your prayer will change you. Now, it might change the things. God might answer that prayer and change whatever you're praying about, but I guarantee you that if you pray about it, He will change you. Another thing we have to cultivate is community. Community replaces immaturity. One of the reasons that Paul is joyful is because he belongs to a community of believers who are partnering with him in proclaiming the gospel. Christian community is an indispensable part of cultivating joy in our lives. There's a reason that Paul commands us to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep because the beauty and power of life together in the church is that when something bad is going on in my life, I can rejoice at something good going on in your life. And the reverse is true. When one part of the body suffers, all the body suffers. So one of the beauties of being a part of a church is that when I'm going through something bad, I have the comfort of knowing I'm not alone because my church family is there for me. But the reverse is also true because there's great joy that comes when you know that God is using you to help other people understand that they're loved and cared for and they're not alone. Christian community is so essential. 
That's why Paul says in Philippians 4.1, Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. Since happiness is solitary, true joy is communal. Joy has to be shared because it's contagious. You can't keep joy to yourself, can you? It has to be expressed. It bubbles over, not only into your life, but into the lives of those people around us. Christian joy is contagious. And this is one of the reasons why Sunday school and small groups are so important. Because it gives you that small group of believers that you can get to know on a deeper level. That you can share life with. That you can comfort and encourage and be comforted and encouraged by them. It gives you a group of people that you can rejoice with and weep with. Friends, dear friends, to be your joy and your crown who can help you stand firm in the Lord. And moms and dads, it is so important for you to have your children and your teenagers in Sunday school, to have them active in our youth and children's ministries because it gives them Christian friends who can help them withstand the temptations and the discouragements and to counteract the lies of the world that they're facing every day. You can help your, your, your children develop Christian friends with God's people, and to get to know Christian adults who will know them and love them and pray for them and help influence them for Christ. When we grow in Christian community, we grow. It helps us to mature in Christ. It helps us to bear fruit that remains. I need people. I need you. I need your prayers. I need your encouragement. I need you to hold me accountable. I need my church. We need each other. Community helps us cultivate joy. It helps us to get out from from just fixating on ourselves. It helps us to look beyond the end of our own nose. It helps to give us perspective when we're in community. And the last thing we need to replace is worry. And we replace that with trust. Paul talks about that in verse 6. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. See, even though Paul was in prison and he couldn't be there physically to help the Philippian Christians, he wasn't worried about them. He was confident. He put his trust in the Lord that God would complete the good work that he began in them. Look at verses 18 and 19 of chapter 1. Paul also says this. He says, The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, because Christ is being re- preached, he says, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. Why? Because I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. And then look at chapter 4, verse 4. Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. See, Paul was confident, not in the Philippians, not in Timothy, not in himself. His confidence was in the Lord. Now, when I put too much faith in my ability to, quote-unquote, fix somebody, or when I put too much faith in other people to live up to my unrealistic expectations of them, guess what? I'm going to be disappointed, right? 
Because I can't fix anybody. And nobody is ever going to live up to the image I have of them in my mind. But when we trust God to work in somebody's life, when we hold them accountable to God's Word, then we can receive the gift of that person with joy. We can love them and enjoy our relationship with them. It's like I said last week. Love requires us to take people as they are. But love also requires us to speak truth to them. But I can't rely on my wisdom and my strength to change that person. I have to love them. I have to be honest with them in gentle, loving ways. I have to pray for them. I can model Christ-likeness for them, but then I have to entrust them to God. Because it is God's job to convict people, not mine. And only the Lord can change somebody's heart. I can't. So, rather than worry, we trust. And this, this applies to raising our children, too. Raising up our kids. And even though I can't even imagine this at the moment, that point where you have to let them go and send them out into the world. And, and, and I can imagine how worrisome that can be. But not if you trust God. Not if you've raised them right. Not if you've shaped and molded them and raised them in the fear and the training of the Lord. And you trust God to complete the good work that He has begun in them. Look with me at Philippians 4. Let's start with verse 4 again through verse 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. When, when we live joyful lives, we've weeded out the joy killers. We've replaced them with these four essential elements. Think of them as fertilizer, amending the soil of our heart to help cultivate joy. But there's one more step, an essential step, really the foundational step of it all, and that is that we have to stay connected with Christ. We have to stay connected with Christ. Jesus says in John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be what? Complete. See, Jesus is the source of joy. It's His fruit growing in us as we stay connected with Him. So if we want lasting joy, if we want our joy to be complete, we have to abide in Jesus. Some New Testament translators were trying to translate the Bible, or specifically the New Testament, into the Eskimo language. Okay, I guess Inuit would be that language. And so they're, they're working on that, trying to translate it, but they, they stumble very quickly into a problem. There's no word for joy in their language. So they struggle with how do we translate the word joy, which is such an indispensable... It's 59 times in the New Testament. How do we translate this? So the researchers... And translators were, were, were spending time with the Eskimos and were trying to learn their culture, try to find a substitute word, and they discovered something. One of the most joyful times for an Eskimo family is in the evening when the sled dogs come in and they feed them. 
The feeding of the sled dogs in the evening. When they do that, the dogs come running, they're barking, they're bounding, they're they're fiercely wagging their tails, and the children get into They jump up, they play with the dogs, they're cheering them on, neighbors come out. I mean, it's just a happy occasion. So the translators decided when translating a passage like this that says, when the disciples saw Jesus, they were overjoyed. They translated it, when the disciples saw Jesus, they wagged their tails. So how can you tell if you are staying connected with Christ? You're wagging your tail. You know, the only thing that should be of greater quality in the Christian's life than joy is love. We talked about last week that really love is the fruit of the Spirit. And all these other qualities just kind of express and amplify the love of Christ in our hearts. So think about it this way. Joy is an attribute of God. And it comes to us by way of the Spirit of the God who is love. And so love, when it has free reign in our lives, will always express itself in deeply felt and actively expressed joy. We'll wag our tails. We'll jump and shout. We'll greet each other with a smile and a firm handshake or a hug because we're filled with the joy of the Lord. Do you know this kind of joy? Have you experienced the love and the joy of Jesus Christ? Are you connected to Jesus by faith? If you've never confessed your sins and asked God to weed these things out of your life, if you've never come to Christ in faith and said, Jesus, forgive me and live in me and produce your fruit in me and help me to know your love, I invite you to come here this morning and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Let Him change your life. Let Him transform your heart. Let His Spirit begin to produce this fruit in your life. Maybe this morning you've been worshiping with us for some time. Maybe you're even going to the Next Steps lunch here in a little bit. And, and, and you already know in your heart that this is the community where God wants you to cultivate joy. That these are the people that you want to worship alongside and grow and study and serve. That this will be the community that will help you to mature and to grow in Christ-likeness and experience that deep and abiding joy. Maybe this morning one of these joy killers in your life needs to be weeded out. Maybe you put too much emphasis on riches or pleasure. Maybe you just are consumed with worry. Maybe you recognize that you've got a lot of spiritual immaturity. I'm standing down front. This altar is open. You can come and pray and deal with the Lord as He leads. But let's pray together before we stand and sing. Father, thank You for the joy of the Lord that is our strength. Thank You that life, no matter how hard it can be, is not meant to be a drudgery. Lord, we shouldn't just endure Monday through Friday and just work and live for the weekend. Father, You have created us to have joy abounding in us every moment of every day. Change our perspective. Transform our hearts. Help us to weed out those things that choke out the joy and help us to cultivate this deep and abiding sense of peace and well-being in our lives that is Christian joy. It's in Your name we pray. Amen.